It's good to see each of you here tonight. We appreciate so much your presence. In just a moment or two, we're going to be talking about the fruits of atheism. Before we begin, I do want to express appreciation to each of you who are here tonight, especially to our visitors. We invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. Uh, this afternoon, some of us met at the nursing home or assisted living facility, Olive Grove Terrace, and if you weren't there, you missed out. One of the traditions that has, I guess, been in place for a short period of time, was actually started by David and, and Billy, is to conclude with never grow old. And I really wish Billy would lead that song tonight. <laughs> when Billy leads that song, he gets very animated. And so when he gets to the part about never growing old, he puts a little shoulder into it. Well, today, when he was leading, Connie and Jewel and some of them got my attention, and they were doing the fist motion as well. Well, what really got me was when I looked out and saw some of the little old ladies out there. And you've got folks out there I think one lady may have been in a wheelchair. But anyway, they're out there and they're doing this too. And I thought, man, before you know it, these, these folks are going to be up jumping around. So Billy brought them to life. And so I want to encourage you, next month for your Christmas present, you need to be there. You need to see it firsthand. Tonight we're going to be talking about the fruits of atheism. And there are a number of things that I want to share with you, and I have some things that I'd like to read for you in our study together tonight. And I want to begin by sharing with you a story that I came across as I researched this particular lesson. And the story was told of a fellow by the name of George H. Walzer. And in 1880, he founded the town of liberal Missouri. The town was named after an organization that he belonged to. It was called the Liberal League. His goal was to found a church, or rather to found a town without a church, where unbelievers could bring up their children without religious training. It is said that his ideal, his idea, was to build up a town that should exclusively be the home of infidels, a town that should have neither God, hell, church, nor saloon. The city bragged to be the only town of its size in the United States without a priest, preacher, church, saloon, God, Jesus, hell, or devil. And so in 1885, there was another fellow by the name of Clark Braden, and he was a seasoned debater, a very skilled writer. And so he decided to just go and check out what was going on in liberal Missouri and to report his findings, and he did so. On May the 2nd, 1885, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he penned an article entitled, entitled, 
an infidel experiment. Let me just share with you his findings. He said the boast about the sobriety of the town is false, but few of the infidels are totally abstainers. Liquor can be obtained at three different places in this town of 300 inhabitants. More drunken infidels can be seen in a year in liberal than drunken Christians among 100 times as many church members during the same time. He said swearing is the common form of speech in liberal. And nearly every inhabitant, old and young, swears habitually. Girls and boys swear on the streets, playground, and at home. Fully half of the females will swear, and a large number swear habitually. Lack of reverence for parents and of obedience to them is the rule. There are more grass widows, grass widowers, and people living together who have former companions living than in any other town of ten times the population. He said a good portion of the few books that are read are of the class that decency keeps under lock and key. These infidels can spend for dances and shows ten times as much as they spend on their liberalism. These dances are corrupting the youth of the surrounding country with infidelity and immorality. There is no lack of loose women at these dances. Since liberal was started, there has not been an average of one birth per year of infidel parents. He said, feticide is universal, in other words, abortion. The physicians of the place say that a large, large portion of their practice has been trying to save females from consequences of feticide, or again, abortion. In no town is slander more prevalent or the charges more vile. If one were to accept what the inhabitants say of each other, he would conclude that there is a hell, including all liberal, and that its inhabitants are the devils. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, at verse 20, by their fruits you shall know them. I read this story and share this account because I believe what Jesus said is true. It is my conviction that wherever the Bible goes, cities, states, and nations are elevated. As a matter of fact, humanity as a whole is bettered. On the other hand, wherever atheism exists, wherever people choose to ignore the plain and simple teaching of Scripture, then the results will speak for themselves. Many, many years ago, Solomon, who was deemed the wisest man of his day, had this to say. Where there is no revelation, that is, where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish. The people cast off restraint. But he said, happy is he who keeps the law in Proverbs 29 in verse 16. 
in many respects, our nation, the nation that we call home, is reeling because many, many people have chosen to ignore the plain and simple teaching of the Bible. We have fostered, in many respects, a nation of unbelief. There are many individuals that have bought in to what I would suggest is evolutionary thought. As a result of that, the consequences are widespread. If you have a Bible, you might turn with me for just a moment and look at Hosea chapter 4. I want to just read for you what Hosea said because, you know, we talk about people that do not have access to Scripture. One of the blessings that has been afforded those of us that live in this country is access to God's revelation. Most people have at least one copy of Scripture. And there was a day and time when many families had numerous copies. It may be the case that there are families, there are homes today that do not possess a copy of God's holy word. Even though we have access to the scriptures, the real question is, do we practice what the Bible teaches? You see, we could have scripture, but if we fail to implement it into our lives, Again, the consequences are catastrophic. In the fourth chapter of Hosea, here's what the prophet said. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Now, let me just pause here and make this observation. Hosea was writing to the very people of God. They had been entrusted with the oracles of God, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 3 in verse 1. They were the custodians of Scripture. They enjoyed a covenant relationship with Almighty God. And yet Hosea said that God brought an indictment against them. Because as he said, there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. And you ask the question, how could that have been? They chose to ignore the plain teaching of God's Word. They turned a deaf ear to it. They failed to teach God's Word to their offspring. As a result of their actions, listen now to what Hosea said. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. Let that sink in for a moment. Hosea is saying, here are people that have access to the word of God. They are God's covenant people. And yet among these people there is what? There is swearing and lying and killing and stealing, committing adultery. He said they break all restraint. I want to ask you tonight. Is this not, in many respects, an indictment against our own nation? Is this not the kind of behavior that is rampant in our world today? Turn now with me, if you would, and look at chapter 8. 
In chapter 8, in verse 12, Hosea said, I have written for him the great things of my law. But now note, but they were considered a strange thing. There are a lot of people in our world today. There are a lot of people in our country, in a land where we have access to Scripture. You begin talking to them about the Bible, about the principles of Scripture, and they say, you know what, that's strange. That doesn't make sense to me. Never heard that before. Look, if you would, at the consequences of their behavior. Back up and look at verse 7 of chapter 8. He said, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. We are reaping the whirlwind of men and women abdicating the Word of God in their lives. There are a lot of people in our nation today, a lot of people in our world today, that are living as if there is no God. I think there's some reasons for that. And so I want to talk for a minute or two about some of the reasons why we are living in a day and time They could be described as the age of unbelief. As we think about this particular lesson, I want to just cite for you an observation that was made by an individual not long ago. He said, the gradual encroachment of atheistic morality is evident in American society. Not only have crime statistics exploded since the systematic elimination of God and Christianity from public schools commenced in the 1960s, many immoral behaviors are openly, blatantly vying for legal and social sanction from same-sex marriage, polygamy, abortion, gambling, suicide, and a host of other evils. I think he's exactly right. So, let's start by talking for just a moment or two about what I would call the chaos of unbelief. And as we think about the chaos of unbelief, it is the result of men and women, people, just like us, rejecting Almighty God. And not just God, but rejecting the Word of God. When people choose to reject God and His Word, what happens? Chaos, anarchy, mayhem. There has been what I believe to be a divorce, a dismantling, if you please, of what I would call a divine standard. Sometimes when people don't like something, what do they do? They get rid of it. And so in many respects, in order for men and women, in order for people to be able to feel the freedom to do as they please, what do they have to do? They've got to get rid of the divine standard, which is the Word of God. Let me just read for you what one philosopher had to say. Everything is indeed permitted 
if God does not exist. And man is, in consequence, forlorn. For he cannot find anything to depend upon either within or outside himself. Nor, on the other hand, if God does not exist, are we provided with any values or commands that could legitimize our behavior. In other words, if there is no God, the bottom line, mankind, that is, those of us who belong to the human family, we are free to do as we please. There are no absolutes. You can't dogmatically say this is right and this is wrong. This is truth and this is error. You can't do that. So the bottom line is everyone is free to do as he or she pleases. Now we have a commentary on people that did just that. In Judges chapter 21 verse 25, you can look at that passage of scripture and here's what the writer said. In those days there was no king in Israel. They rejected God as their king. You recall they asked Samuel in the long ago. They wanted a king to be like the nations around them. God was their king, but they, they didn't want that. And so he said, there was no king in Israel. And as a result of that, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Is that not what we see today? People, people saying and deciding to do their own thing, to live as they please, to act in accordance with their own wishes and feelings. I have a book in my library that's called Why I'm Not a Christian. It was written by a fellow by the name of Bertrand Russell. Here's what he had to say on page 33 of his book. I see no reason, therefore, to believe in any sort of God. Now, when you think about that kind of mentality, listen now to the consequence. Outside human desires, there is no moral standard. You see, if you decide there's no God, and if there's no God, there's no Bible, you can do what you want. How could I say, how could I impose my moral values and views on you? Can't do that. I'm free to do as I please. The Humanist Manifesto 2 reads as follows. We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous and situational, needing no theological sanction. Now think about that for a minute. You decide. It's up to you. I mean, the whole thrust of humanism is you're your own God, aren't you? You call it as you see it. You do as you please. Wayne Jackson, in an article called Atheism, the Church of Amorality, made this observation. He said the late George G. Simpson of Harvard, and by the way, this fellow was called Mr. Evolution, declared that man's discovery that the universe lacks any purpose or plan has the inevitable corollary that the workings of the universe cannot provide any automatic, universal, eternal, or absolute ethical criteria of right or wrong. 
once you decide there is no God, and once you say no to a divine standard, there is no shoreline, is there? And that's, that's really the bottom line. So here's, here's where we are now. Since there is the chaos of unbelief, what are the consequences of unbelief? What are the fruits of unbelief? Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. I said that there is the dismantling of a divine standard. People just saying, you know what? We're not interested in Scripture. We're not interested in God or His Word. So, in light of that, we talk about the consequences, the cause and effect. There has been the devaluing of the sanctity of human life. Now, we're talking about the fruits of atheism. When you strike at the heart of the sanctity of life, you destroy what I would deem to be core values, don't you? Listen now to a writer named Richard Dawkins. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. He said, notice now that pro-life doesn't exactly mean pro-life at all. It means pro-human life. The granting of uniquely special rights to cells of the species, homo sapiens, is hard to reconcile with the fact of evolution. Note if you would, he talks about the fact of evolution. I have another book in my library called Cosmos by Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan is now dead. And he was an atheist or agnostic. When he died, his wife talked about how they were met with the sobering reality. They would never see one another again because in their mind, at death, that's it. But Sagan, in talking about evolution in his book, and here's a guy that went around the country parading the whole theory of evolution, debating people. And yet in his book, he said that the probability of evolution is minute. What does that have to say? On the one hand, it's factual, and then on the other hand, well, it may not be factual. Another writer... James Rachels had this to say in a book entitled Created from Animals, The Moral Implications of Darwinism. He said, human life will no longer be regarded with the kind of superstitious awe which it is accorded in traditional thought. And the lives of non-humans will no longer be a matter of indifference. This means that human life will, in a sense, be devalued while the value granted to non-human life will be increased. A revised view of such matters as suicide and euthanasia, as well as a revised view of how we should treat animals will result. So see, once you take away the sanctity of human life, anything goes. And I want to remind you that many of our children are being taught evolution in school. I'm grateful for those who are in the classroom that stand up and say, 
you need to think about creation, creationism. You need to think about the Genesis account. The Genesis account makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I think about the logical implications of the design argument. Every house is built by some man. He that built all things is God. God is the grand designer of the universe, and that includes the human family. We have been made in the image and the likeness of God. Now, if we buy into the idea that we are the product of evolution or that we are the result of some type of slime or whatever, well, we're on a plane equal to an animal. So what are the consequences of buying into this mentality? And you think about on television, whether it be the news or sitcoms or other programs that are on television on a regular basis. Think about how they filter into your home on a regular basis the whole concept of evolution and that it is a fact. They laugh at the idea that there is a God who created the universe. Well, here's what the psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I want to begin by talking about abortion. Did you know that since 1973, there have been approximately 57 million abortions in this country? Now, sometimes we throw out figures. It's hard for us to put 57 million babies into perspective. So let me do it like this. The state of California has a population of 27 million people. Imagine going to the state of California. You go to L.A., you go to San Diego, you go to, you go to Sacramento, you go to San Francisco. Everywhere you go, there's not one person. They've all been killed. And then, add to that the state of New York. 19 million. That's... What, 46 million? So you go to California, you go to New York, and guess what? You don't see a single living soul. 47 million. And then you could take, say, the state of Michigan that has a population of almost 10 million. Three states full of people. Gone. Let me... Put it another way. You could take these states, Michigan, Georgia, North Carolina, New Jersey, Virginia, Washington, and Massachusetts. Seven states. Equaling about 58 million people. So, you know, we talk about abortion. And sometimes it just, it, it, it fails to resonate. Because we're not thinking about this is a human being. This is a soul. But you think about going to Michigan, Georgia, North Carolina, New Jersey, Virginia, Washington, or Massachusetts, and not finding a single soul. That's what we've done in this country since 1973. Now, you know, the wise man said there are seven things that are an abomination to God, one of which is hands that shed innocent blood. God hates those things. You know, sometimes we engage in behavior that we know is wrong. 
and it hurts us. And sometimes we say and do things that we, we, we say and do things because we're a human being. We succumb to temptation, whatever. But I would hate to think that I am knowingly, willingly, habitually doing something that I know God in heaven hates. And God hates abortion. And you tell me that our country is not going to be held liable? Those who have practiced abortion in this country are not going to be held liable for that? You better believe they will. As of November the 6th, 2014, there were 924,000 abortions in the United States alone. That's this year. In Shelby County, 14 abortions take place every day. Every day. What does the Bible have to say? The Bible says in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that the baby in the womb is a human being, just like that baby outside the womb. How do I know that? Because the same term is used to describe both. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, you can read about John the Baptist. In the womb of his mother, and the Bible says, the babe leaped. That's a human being. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, we read of the baby Jesus. Jesus, at that point in time, had been born. Same word, same original term used to describe both. But, if you view life from the vantage point of evolution and that we're just a part of the animal family, then who's to say abortion is wrong? Who's to say that there's anything sacred about human life? Now let me link to this another problem that we have, another offshoot, I believe, of atheism, murder and violence. And let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. Many of us remember the story about Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, as you well know, was a serial killer. He attributed his violent behavior to believing, quote, that evolution is truth. That we all just came from slime, and when we died, you know, that was it. There was, no, there was nothing. So the whole theory cheapens life, and he said, I've since come to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator, the true creator of the earth. So here you have a serial killer basically saying that he had bought into the whole theory of evolution. Listen, if you would, to the underlying thought of his behavior. He said, if a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. He hit the nail on the head, didn't he? You see, if there's not a God, if there is no divine standard, if I'm not accountable to God, then I can do as I please because I don't have to worry about any kind of repercussions. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
You know, one of the real problems we have in our country and one of the real problems we have in this area is murder and violence. Perpetrated in many respects by young people. I was talking to a fellow the other day and we were talking about some of the heinous crimes that have been committed by young people. The violent behavior, the killing. And here's the bottom line. There are young folks today, they have not been taught one word about Almighty God. They don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about His Word. And they sure don't know anything about accountability. And so they live as if there is no God. In their mind, human life is expendable, and that includes their own human life. They could care less. So to, to them, the taking of a human life is nothing. And if they lose their life, they don't care either. That's where we are as a nation. We talk about the fruits of atheism. Let me tell you what, it has come home to roost in our country. Let me very quickly mention, well, really our time is gone. I think what I'll do is drive a peg down and pick up next week, the Lord willing. Because I want to talk about another, another problem. It has to do with suicide, euthanasia, mercy killing, and doctor-assisted suicide. We need to talk about this. And then we're going to talk also about hedonism and so the Lord willing we'll do that next week and then we'll talk about the cure for unbelief would you pray with me our father in heaven we're grateful for the privilege the opportunity that we have to be together we're thankful for your love for your care we're thankful for your word and father we ask that you would bless us give us the wisdom the courage Give us a voice for truth. Give us the courage to stand up and to speak out and to talk to other people. And Father, we ask that you would bless us as we strive to live a Christian life on a daily basis. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It might be the case that you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And I want to encourage you to consider becoming one. You know, the Bible tells us that Christ died for our sins in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And God is desirous of your salvation, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 4. Peter said, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So tonight, I would appeal to you. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Would you do what they did on Pentecost Day? Repent, be baptized. Let God wash your sins away. Let him add you to the church where you'll enjoy all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3. And then live a faithful life. And in so doing, you'll receive that crown of life that Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10. If you're here tonight and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, could we pray with you and for you? 
You know, John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?